Good morning, good morning, good morning. How are you, my friend? How are you, my friend? Welcome. This is the Breakfast with Champions podcast, one of the most unique, amazing, and powerful podcasts you'll ever come across in your entire life. Listen, we bring you motivation, education, and inspiration, and ultimately give you an opportunity to get a seat at the table, to hang out with some of those that are doing the things you know you can do, that have reached some of those levels you know you can reach. What makes this podcast so unique and incredible is we have over a hundred different thought leaders that are constantly delivering amazing, over-the-top, powerful, and impactful content in bite-sized nuggets that you can absorb, take action on, and implement in your life. So with that said, make sure you filter through. There's going to be some of these thought leaders, these experts in their industries that you're ultimately gonna connect with. You're gonna totally, totally resonate. It's gonna totally be your vibe. And then there's gonna be other ones that you're gonna be like, eh, you know what? I like them, but I don't know if I love them. And that's what's great about Breakfast with Champions is we have something for everyone. So make sure you sift through, find the ones that you love, and know that they'll be coming back every single week to be able to deliver to you the motivation and education and inspiration that you need. With that said, my name is Glenn Lundy. I am your host. Super excited to connect with you. And let's kick off today's episode of Breakfast with Champions. I, I woke up this morning at about 4.45. And the reason why I woke up was because specifically of this segment, to be able to listen to all the amazing things that were shared and all of the different things that I needed to learn in here. And so I know Molly Dare is right next to me. She, uh, she had an amazing room this morning, which uh, I think it, it almost gets you warmed up, right? And um, I think Jamie said it when she talked about, I would rather do or wait one week to do a great episode rather than just to put out content that's just a so-so or a good episode. And so I'm gonna ask all of you to really lean in with me here uh, just over the next little bit. And I do wanna make this interactive. This is gonna be a fun thing, I hope for you. And it's gonna be fun for me. I know I know for a fact on that. Uh, and you know, I, I thought about being able to really discuss the power of the rest and restore. That's really what the central theme of motivation, uh, you know, for what I think about. And, you know, as Molly runs the Mindset Motivation Room, basically every morning during the week, it really made me realize and think motivation or motive, if you really break down that word, talks about the reason why you act or behave the way that you do. Why and how are you programmed to do the things that you do? So what happens when you lose your motivation? And some of us might not know the answer right away. We think we know the answer, yet it's been embedded in us like a computer almost. You know, I, uh, I have to say that I, I had to take my wife to Best Buy to go buy a new computer. Uh, we are Apple-like geeks. We love Apple. We really realized that our MacBooks were kind of on its last leg. We've had them for many years, and frankly, they just got outdated. They were too slow. The memory was filling up. All of the apps were basically obsolete without having to upgrade, and you have to 
upgrade a whole new iOS platform to get to that level. And that platform is so big that the space on our computers, on our hard drives and on our RAM wouldn't allow us to get to that level. That's how old these computers were. And so when I got a chance to, by the way, just by flash of mics, how many of you have had to replace any part of your electronics over the last two years? Just a, a quick uh, a survey here. I see a lot of my flashes. And what that tells me is we are always ever evolving just uh -huh. like our electronics, like our TVs, like our computers. So what do you think happened when she pulled the computer out of the box? By the way, we did not go with an Apple product. We have Apple phones, we have iPhones. We went with Microsoft Surface for a reason. When she turned on the computer, the computer was already programmed to boot up and go in a certain protocol or fashion to be able to get ready for optimized use, right? There are a lot of preferences that she needed to go through. Okay, so what do you do here? How sensitive do you want your mouse to be? Do you want to download Microsoft Word, Excel, and PowerPoint at this time? If so, do you have a code to do it? So it asks you for all of these things. Now, just uh, by show of hands, if you're in the audience, you can raise your hand. Or if you're on stage, you can flash your mic. How many of you were born or grew up in a city, like downtown, to where it was loud, it was noisy, it was energetic? It's something like New York City, right? If, if you have ever been in that situation, what you're going to realize is, your brain and your body will program itself to your surroundings and your environment. So I found that a lot of people, especially in Texas, I'm in Houston, Texas, a lot of people moved from California and the East Coast in New York here. And what I found was they really felt uncomfortable with the quiet. We're in the suburbs, by the way. The quiet, and they didn't know really how to form and function. And it, it caught me off guard for a second because they seemed nervous. They seemed fidgety. They had a way about them that they would talk, right? And I all think that was great. What I failed to realize was people who live in the city around noise and distraction are so used to it, they actually need it to feel normal. And so when I think about that reset button, right, I think about it at the back of our head. We're able just to push it at any given time. And really, this message today is going to be about rest and restore. So very much so to when your computer is not being used, right? You've all noticed this to where you might be working on a document and you leave it alone for a couple of minutes and your computer will go into sleep mode or it will shut down or power down, right? You see that little moon? Well, our bodies and our brains need the exact same thing. And I believe that when it comes to motivation, the reason why we do what we do is not because we don't love it. We, we love what we do. It's just how can we sustain it? If you've ever been around someone who's had a lot of energy, you wonder, how are they always so energetic? How are they always so motivated? And the answer is they're not. There has to be downtime for them. And then I really started to dig in. I was in church yesterday. Uh, we did not get the chance to have childcare with our kids. We have three kids. We have a seven, eight, and 10-year-old. So imagine trying to really hone in when the pastor's speaking <laughs> and you've got three fidgety little uh, humans right in between you, and you're just trying your best for the people around you, you know, to not be distracted as well, right? We kind of tune them out a little bit. But Bruce Wesley, who I've known now for 25 years, he was the gentleman who, who spoke yesterday. And, uh, you know, he heads a church of 4,000 people. And uh, we always sit in the front left, always. 
And so we like to hear, we like to be a part and interactive in the message. And we feel like we learn the most and absorb the most. And I did talk to him afterwards. And uh, he said, you know what? I have to say how well behaved your kids were. And in both of our heads, my wife and I are going, ha, you obviously didn't see the whole thing. It was a big distraction. I pulled so much out from his message, though. I wanted to hit on a few of these things that I believe are so impactful that hopefully if you do have a place where you can write something down or if you can remember something or text this to someone, it would be worth thinking about and really revisiting later. So I think about how computers are made in the image of the human brain, right? Because they were developed by humans. Uh, a CPU is actually developed very similarly to how our brain works. That's actually the blueprint. Now, doesn't that sound really funny on how computers were made in the image of the human brain, how we were created in the image of God? And so what I found really cool and synonymous was when God created the universe, what did he do on the seventh day? Anybody want to answer that before I give the answer? And I think one or two of you might know this if you know Genesis. Allison, what you rested. got? He rested. He rested. He rested. He rested. And how many of us go in just a seven-day-a-week mode and we just continue to grind. And I've heard it, rise and grind, right? That's that's a very famous saying in this room with all of you amazing Breakfast with Champions, rise and grind. Well, I guarantee you, Glenn Lundy takes time to rest and restore. He wants to perform at his best. He wants to perform optimally. And when I think about God resting on the seventh day, well, I know that for a fact, no one in this room can outdo God. And if you can, I want to meet you, right? So keep in mind, God is your supercharger. God is your supercharger. And he commanded you to rest and restore as well. And so when I think about, you know, certain plugs, right? I, we have many different chargers that we tend to lose and recirculate around the house because now we have four iPhones in our house. We have nine different chargers, and it seems we buy two of them every other week because they tend to get lost or they tend to get placed somewhere where we can never find them. And I think about the, uh, the small little cubes, as you know that I'm talking about, it takes forever to charge your phone. And then I think about that little kind of, um, it's not an oval, but it's one of those chargers where when you plug it in, your phone immediately starts charging and you can get a good charge in 30 minutes to an hour. With those little cubes, it just doesn't have the same juice. So understand that in order for you to sharpen your ax, if you really wanna be great, major in the majors and minor in the minors. And I would say one of your major parts of your um, routine should be to rest. Now, that doesn't mean, by the way, uh, going home and sitting on the couch and watching TV and having something distracting in the background. It means really finding a place and creating what we call a keystone habit. If you have something to write down or if you just want to put it on your notes, a lot of what I do is I put electronically on my notepad on my phone. When I hear something that I really need to re-explore later, I need to be able to access it. Pen and paper to me means when you know we start cleaning the house, those papers get thrown away. Something that I can etch into my brain that I absolutely need to hear again, which I know I need to hear, I write it down in my phone or I text someone so they can text it back to me and plant that seed. So um, just to you know, kind of get the, the supercharger type thing or the analogy, um, this really clicked home. And he said, 
this is, a, you can quote Bruce Wesley in this. He said, yesterday is heavy, put it down. Yesterday is heavy, put it down. And here's what I got from that. I started to realize very quickly that as human beings, we carry a lot of baggage. We carry a really heavy backpack. And often not, we don't empty it. I'd be willing to bet if you look around your house, you've acquired a lot of things. And if you really look to see how often you use those things or what their functionality is, you'd be willing to bet that if you looked in a closet, you'd be like, oh, that's where this is. Why do I still need this? Well, you know what? It's the same thing with challenge. It's the same thing with business. Put your backpack down. Yesterday was heavy. Let's focus on the present and the future. Now, can we learn from the past? Yes. Do we carry those lessons? Of course. We're going to need those things in order to learn and to grow and to thrive. But I really liked when he said that. And just his, his intonation and his clarity, it just, I, li literally, I moved in my chair. And I, it was almost like one of those dreams where you feel like you're falling and you wake up with like a big sudden jerk. I'm like, oh my gosh, that hit me. It physically hit me. And I have to say that I, I realized that all the mistakes were for this very moment. All of the lessons learned were for today. And now I can use those to my advantage to be able to not shortcut, but to be a little bit more efficient in the way that we're able to rest and restore. So how do you start your day? This is what I'm gonna ask of you. And then I would love to hear from you guys here just shortly on how you start your day or uh, planting this seed. What were some of the things when you were down in the valley and you were stuck in the mud and there was absolutely no light to be seen, what did you do to pull yourself out? How did you rest and restore? How did you hit the reset button on the back of your head as we talked about? This is something that, uh, you know, I believe soul rest can make or break you. And why is soul rest so important? Well, I know for me, when I am in my flow state, it does help create the flow of creativity. And how often do you look for the salt? How often do you look for something and you're searching and you were dead set of knowing where it was in your house or in your cabinet, like your medicine cabinet or, you know, something, where, where are my vitamins? And you're staring at them, yet your brain can't recognize you're staring right at them until somebody says, look over here, or they come over there because your mind is blocked. Your mind has a good way of blocking things. Well, you want to make sure and keep your creative flow, and I'll share with you a little bit about my routine here in just a second, but it also allows you to logically solve the challenges that come up. Some are minor, some are major. Some can be addressed immediately. Some you need to marinate on. You need to be able to sit with it for a little bit. You need to be able to really look at it from all angles. Instead of react, you respond. Some are easy, some are more challenging than others. Another benefit of really soul rest is really influencing the people around you on the way that they behave and why they make the choices that they make. You know, one of the things that um, I decided very early on that I, I had to really take a long, hard look at what was serving me and what was not. And I think the biggest reason why I stopped the things that were destructive and the things that weren't working where I had to take a long, hard work look and say, look, I've hit the bottom of this. No longer does alcohol serve me. I'm gonna take this out. 
no longer does late night TV really invoke that much information gathering to where it's really going to allow me to be a better person. So for a very long time, we didn't even have a TV. We didn't veg out on the TV and have that distraction because guess what? Your subconscious is picking that up. <laughs> Some of you are going to like this. Give me a mic flash if you've ever fallen asleep and you have been watching TV or listening to Clubhouse or listening to music and you start dreaming about that very thing. Has anybody ever had that happen to me? Okay, so Molly, I see you. Great. I see you, Allison, as well. And oh, Manuela, Elizabeth, a lot of you. Cool. Well, it's it's there's a reason why you start dreaming about that TV show, right? I watch The Office a lot, right? And I, I just contradicted myself. I say, I don't watch TV very much. Well, that's the one thing I do watch when I watch it. And it's funny because I thought that I was in an episode of The Office one time because I fell asleep on the couch and I was like, okay. Uh, where's Michael Scott? I got to go talk to him in his office. It was really weird. So for those of you who are big office fans, high five. If not, no big deal. Just disregard what I said. I would say that a lot of your subconscious is going to make your conscious decisions much easier if you're able to control what your subconscious allows in. Now, I would also say mental clarity. I think there's a lot of times when we get nervous or when we get anxious, our voice speeds up our tempo and our logic and our intelligence tends to go down. And the reason why is because our brain is not designed to function in panic mode. You go into fight or flight and you start to shut down parts of your brain because now all you're worried about is survival. So having that mental clarity to make decisions on relationships, on family decisions, on business decisions, there's a reason why CEOs and large executives, large companies, they're forced to take sabbaticals. So we have a little thing in our church where every two years, um, our pastors are forced to take six months off. And I thought that was one of the most influential things that our church could have done. They still continue to pay them, but they need sharp mental clarity, and they need them to have the word in the Bible to be able to give to the community, to our fellowship. And I really love the fact that, you know, after this many years, after 25 years, I went and talked to Bruce after that sermon yesterday. And by the way, my church is in a high school. It's really cool because you know what? The church is not where the building is, it's the people. Very much to where this community is the people. We are breakfast with champions, yet we still off this platform have a WhatsApp. We have support from one another. We have, you know, in-person meetings. We have Zoom. We have every single thing to be able to support each other in community. And I'm kind of giving away the next point before I start to open it up. But really, truly, what this does, soul rest, is it gives us the patience to maintain and grow our most treasured relationships. If you think about the top three relationships, if you're writing anything down right now, write the three most important relationships to you right now. And so I'll share mine. My number one relationship is with God. A lot of people say spouse first, or a lot of people say their children first. And I'll tell you why for me, it's just God. Because without God, those two relationships are flawed. That trickle down is flawed. And I need to make sure I need to show up and have the right vertical relationship to where I can support my spouse as she supports me because I don't expect her for me to be her number one. I expect God to be her number one. 
because God is my number one. And we've shared that. And I think that's one of the things that's really forged and strengthened, you know, when we're away or if I'm out of town or if she's somewhere and she's doing those things, it creates a bond of trust that allows us to be able to make sound decisions. It gives each other credibility where we're building each other up and not tearing each other down. Fear, doubt, those things are destructive. We want positive support. We want positive talk. And why is my spouse number two instead of my kids? Well, without my spouse relation, my spousal relationship being strong, how can we really have a relationship with our kids? Because what they're doing is they're watching us 24-7. And you know what? That's important that my kids hopefully see all the mistakes that I make and the lessons that I learn and how I deal with those. And also how my wife does as well. More importantly, how we get through it together. That creates stability for them. That allows them to keep their creative juices flowing. And I have to say that their personalities blossom when we are in that realm. And granted, it is not always roses. Every single relationship has its challenges. Some minor, some major. Some epic, some eh, everyday run of the mill. So please understand that the soul rest minimizes or helps eliminate a lot of those little and big things if we're able to take care of ourselves with our vertical relationship. And I think about how solitude tests your faith. You know, how often can you stop and be still? You know, a lot of times in these rooms, we have two to three minutes to say what we want to say, and we have 20 minutes worth of information in our head. So how do we narrow that down? How do we really juice down what we want to say to get to the meat of it, to be able to have punch, to be able to have impact? Well, those are the things that really designs, is designed to test your faith. And I love this, this story. And some of you may, able, you may have heard of it, you may not have, but I love the credibility that this speaks to. It doesn't matter what president you can think of, but just think of a president in history where if you received a call from them, would you take it? And most likely the answer is yes. Think of a president that you respect, Think of a president, even the president of the United States that like George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, you just go down the list, Barack Obama, whoever you want to pick, right? Well, so Billy Graham was a close advisor to President Eisenhower. And President Eisenhower really had something pressing. And so he had his assistant dial up Billy Graham's number and he called him. And um, Billy Graham didn't answer the phone. Matter of fact, somebody else did and said, um, Billy's not available. Can I take a message? And President Eisenhower got on the phone. He goes, this is President Eisenhower. I would like to talk to Billy. Does he know that I am on the phone? And she goes, actually, no one is allowed to talk to him right now, even the President of the United States. So I will have him return your call respectfully, and I'll let you know when he's ready. And the funny thing was, he was in prayer. And he specifically instructed every single person, doesn't matter who it is, who calls, or who wants to distract, when that prayer time is over for Billy Graham, then he will engage in that call. Then he will talk to that person. Nothing distracted his time with his creator. And I thought that was so cool because you know what? Eisenhower was not a, really a fan of Billy Graham not taking his call. After he explained it, he understood the gravity of how important silence and rest and restore and meditation was. So when I think about 
the people around you. If you think about the people around you who are really good at telling you what you should be doing, they sh what you should be doing, like your spouse, your kids, your coworkers, your bosses, your friends, your neighbors, your employees, go down the list. Everybody always says what you should be doing. Well, guess what? You're in charge. And I will say if you maybe march to a little bit of a, uh, a different drummer in your life, people are going to notice. You know, people who are very deep in their faith, you can tell. You know, they can go walk into any situation and you can just tell there's something about them by the way they speak, if they do speak, or how they observe their nonverbals, right? You can definitely tell nonverbally if that's someone that feels comfortable in a situation or uncomfortable. Well, how do you know? So I want to open this up for a second. And what I'll do is I'll look for mic flashes. Have you ever been around someone who's been uncomfortable in a situation and how could you tell? So I'd like to see a couple mic flashes to give me what you saw or what you observed with that person. What were some of the things that you saw with someone who was uncomfortable clearly with the situation that you were observing? All right, we got Allison and then Blessing. We'll go to Allison, what you got? All right, so I've seen this a number of times where you're maybe in a group of people maybe it's a, I've seen it at conferences a lot and they hang on the outer edges. They're not leaning into the conversation. They're, they're just watching the conversation. Even if people try to bring them into it, they don't, they're not ready to participate fully. I love that. And was this a, a small or a large gathering? Do you feel like they were introverted or extroverted, just not comfortable in their element? Um, I've seen it on all kinds of different ones, but the one that I'm thinking of specifically, it was a conference. So it was probably, a, it was a larger conference of a couple thousand people, obviously in pre times, but um, the group itself was maybe seven to 10 max. And they were on the, it was like, you know, you make that circle where you're talking to people and you're kind of all grouped, clumped together, facing each other. And they were not in the first layer of the circle. They were on the outer edges, despite being invited in, made space, all of that. And um, I felt that they might have just been shy or maybe intimidated. It's very much, it's very cool how we can observe. And even though we're not engaged with that person in active conversation, we can know. And being observant like that, I just have to say that we might find that more often than other, which is going to directly tie into my next point. Blessing, what was your observation and how did you know someone was uncomfortable? Oh, I have a friend who happens to be shy at times. It's really weird. It's, it's random, actually. She's super friendly, but sometimes she gets really shy. And like whenever we're in certain situations, like with new people, before she gets comfortable, if you look at her palms, they're so shiny from sweating and she avoids eye contact and she just kind of grins oddly in order to just get by get through the motions so the follow-up question to this blessing is how long did it take for you to establish a relationship with her to where she felt comfortable with you oh it was instant from the first moment isn't that cool how when we think about our communities right some of us, you're going to hit it off right away, and sometimes it takes time. You, you kind of are a little bit more, and it depends on the situation. Some people don't feel comfortable in church. Some people don't feel comfortable at concerts because they can't dance. Like, I can't dance. I'll just be completely 
transparent with the room. If you get me on a dance floor, I'm going to try and get off there as fast as I possibly can because it is not a comfortable setting for me. So I would just say, thank you, Rocky. I appreciate that, Mike Flash. Um, and by the way, for those of you who have seen me dance, please just delete my TikTok right away and uh, we'll move on from there. So I, I, I do believe that this leads me into this point, which is so key. Solitude strengthens your community. If you think about your community that you're with consistently, it's typically work. It might be uh, maybe a small group or it might be church, right? It might be your family. And you feel comfortable with those people because you have found something that you can relate to, as Rachel D'Alto would be relatable as her book just came out. And she's super excited about it. You know, I think about how we can relate to each other. And I think that we can hold each other accountable to these very things that we talk about. And here's what I love. You know, when Bruce was talking yesterday, I know I, I basically planned a lot of my message around because when he was hitting on this stuff, I was like, oh my gosh, is this exactly what I wanted to speak on today? How many of you, <laughs> and be honest with me since we're on the dance topic, how many of you feel, just by my flash, that you have a good voice, that you can sing really, really well, like Brad Caldwell did earlier? Anybody feel like they can sing really well? I'm not going to put you on the spot. Rocky, I see you. Christina, I see you. Okay, Allison, good, good. All right, for the rest of you, you either can't sing well or you're too shy, and I totally get it. All right, Mark, I saw you too, my friend. Think about the band. I have to say that when a band plays you can definitely tell when an instrument is out of tune, right? So think about if you're singing in the car, you think you have an amazing voice because you turn the radio up as loud as you can and you're singing to whatever it is you are and you're like, man, I should go for American Idol. I mean, I'm really thinking uh, I'm, uh, you know, America's next uh, top voice or whatever those shows are. I, I apologize, I don't watch that. But really, when you turn the radio off, have you ever noticed that you don't sing as well? <laughs> And I would say that when we sang at church yesterday, I'm not a big singer either, but I have to say I felt more comfortable singing as a community than I did alone. I could never do what that lead singer does, even a backup singer, because I just don't have the gift of the talent. Now, could I develop that? Probably with practice, learn how to breathe through your diaphragm, these two things, you know. Still, I mean, our singers are absolutely amazing. So when I think about solitude, I think about strengthening your community and strength in numbers with the aligned people that give you energy, not drain your energy. So I think about the people that you're around, and I, I heard it earlier from the top five, right? The five people that you hang around are going to be the sum of basically who you are. And so if you're leveling up in your life and you have five friends or five influences in your life that are positive, that are at another level, that the level that you want to be at, well, guess what? You're going to be that sixth person who eventually levels up because you're going to pick up some of the habits. You're going to deprogram the things that are destructive and figure out what they're doing that's productive to be able to really recharge. And by the way, the longer you hang around someone, when, you're, when you are in rest and restoration and reflection, you're able to distinguish what some of those characteristics or traits are. And that's really hard to do at first. You know, it can be a big challenge when you see people who are successful, you can never see yourself at that level because you're like, oh, well, they probably got there and it took them a long time and I could never do what they do. I heard that a lot in professional bodybuilding. I, I, I could never look like you or I could never do what you do. I couldn't spend that much time in the gym. 
And, you know, if you heard my segment a couple of weeks ago, the big question was, why not? And, you know, as I sit in silence and I meditate in the morning, I ask myself that question, why not me? Or why me in a positive way? I deserve it, right? Well, you deserve it. The things that you're passionate about, the, the only thing that holds you back is really you. You could say it's the circumstances around you. But I will tell you, this recharge, if you're able to plug your battery in, you're going to find ways, you're going to find solutions, you're going to run into challenges. It's not going to be easy. The bigger the goal, the more challenging it becomes. And you have to face the rock. Hey listeners, if you enjoy listening to Breakfast with Champions, we can bet you care about your daily routine. Do you want to know the secret to the perfect routine? It's the perfect morning. Glenn has written a free ebook called The Morning Five, five simple steps to an extraordinary morning. If you can transform your morning, you can transform your life. Head on over to themorningfive.com to learn more about the five ways you can change the way you start your day. Right? You have to face it. You have to hike. And I think about, you know, people who, who hike Mount Everest. You know, some do it with oxygen, some do it without. You do realize above 10,000 feet that your body starts to deteriorate in your lungs after you've been above 15 to 20,000 feet for a certain extended period of time. You're essentially degrading your body to hit something that is a peak, 29,026 feet. By the way, it rises every two feet, so I don't have the exact number for Mount Everest. But when I think about 30,000 feet-ish, that's where jetliners fly, between 30 and 45,000 feet. And I think about the lack of oxygen, but you're doing it for a cause. You're doing it for a reason. You're doing it for your motivation. What is your motive? Because you want to face the challenge and you want to be able to get to where you want to go. So what is my rest and restore practice? Well, it's very simple. We have to have solitude. Some of you have little distractions. Let me tell you what those little distractions are. They have two hands, they have two feet, and they're usually under the age of 21. And they're called kids. And they have an amazing way of interrupting you. And they will track you down and find you no matter where you go or what you do. And so we have deliberate time. We have a space to where when we wake up, we, we decided that, you know, when they wake up at 7 a.m. for school, we need to wake up at 5 a.m. if we want our quiet time, right? And uh, my wife will go to her place and she'll journal and she'll listen to a little clubhouse and she'll do whatever she needs to do. She'll meditate for 20 minutes. She'll go out and run around the, the backyard. She'll do what she needs to do because that's her routine and that's what works for her. You would be amazed if you turned your phone off. No vibration, no sound effect, you leave it in the other room, you look around, you even turn the lights off. The lights still have a distracting noise. You close the blinds. If it's dark, you don't have to. But you think about putting your nose into a book. You, put, you, you think about the AirPods coming out of your ears and you think about just listening to that loud silence. And you'll know what I'm talking about because whenever you wake up, you ever notice you turn the TV on and it's set on 12 and it is so loud in the morning. But when you went to bed at night, 12 wasn't loud enough because your ears were conditioned for the distraction. Now they're ready for the new and the fresh. And so I would invite you guys, what will your routine be? What do you need to unlearn? And so if you are writing something down, what do you need to deprogram? 
So as I open up the floor to all of you, I want you to also talk about maybe what you will institute in your programming. Our brains work just like computers. We have a memory, right? We store things. And let me tell you what's really mind-blowing to me. I was listening to Paul David Tripp. And if you've ever heard the Wednesday word, I get these emails every uh, Wednesday. Love Paul David Tripp. And he goes, we live in the mundane. And I had no idea what that meant. I actually really had to dig into this. What does that mean? Well, 80% to 90% of our life is not that exciting. <laughs> we remember the top 10% or the bottom 10% because it impacts us. It imprints on our memory. I'll have to tell you that I lost our entire house to a fire in 2012. I'll never forget that day, July 29th. I talked about that in my last segment. We lost everything. I sat there and watched the house burn at 12.30 in the morning while my wife was out of town with our daughter, and she was pregnant at the time. And I'll remember that until the day I, I leave this earth. I also remember the best moments in my life, right? You remember the best moments in your life when you accomplish something, like graduating from college or getting the job you always dreamt of. You'll remember that day for the rest of your life. The other 80%, you probably can't remember what happened two and a half weeks ago on Saturday at 1 p.m. You just probably can't remember that because your brain is constantly trying to input and, and keep the things that are either really traumatic or really accomplishing. So what do we need to deprogram in our lives and when do we start? A lot of people say I'll start tomorrow. I actually started yesterday and it's never too late. You can start tomorrow or you can start now. So I'd like, I'd like just to open it up. I, I didn't want to spend too much time exactly speaking. I'd like to hear from, from you uh, as far as maybe some of the things that you heard that said, hey, this doesn't serve me, but this does. Or I would love for you to share your habits. If you feel you have a solid routine, what do you do to rest and restore when it comes to making yourself and you look at your battery, how do you get to 100%? So I'll be looking for mic flashes. I'd love to hear from a few of you. I know that I wanted to leave this mainly as a segment. Oh, there we go, Dr. Nia. Okay, you're going to be first. Uh, Doc, take it away. Thank you so much, Storm. Yes, I did stay up for this segment. It's just past midnight here in Sri Lanka. I love what you said about solitude, and I can resonate with that in so many ways. I mean, absolutely in the spiritual sense, but I also love how you mentioned it's important to take that break away from distractions, including family. But one of the challenges I find, because currently we are in lockdown and I do live alone, is that even getting that solitude from social media is a challenge. It's almost like having to take a solitude from a part of yourself. So I'd love to hear what everyone or anybody on stage has got to say about how you design that solitude away from the distractions of the devices as well. Thank you so much. This is Dr. Dina. Dr. Dina, great question. I'll be looking for mic flashes. If anyone would like to share their experiences decompressing or maybe getting away from social media, would love to hear. This is Monica in the turquoise ring. May I speak? Please do. This has been such a great segment. Thank you. Um, I have found that getting outdoors is so, so vital for my mental health, not only my physical health, of course, but I crave being outdoors. And especially when I feel like my screen time has just really been far too much. And um, I've gotten into that sort of 
vortex of social media, I got to get outside. And, and I think that that's partly because of just the physical fitness aspect has been so integrated into who I am over the last two years, but also because it's a complete and utter change from close-up focus to being looking at a screen and very small type to being outdoors where you you can focus, you can look long distances, you can look up at trees, your eyes ha, you know have something completely different and a 360 degree option to look at. And I feel like it's healthy for your, your body and your mind. This is Monica in the turquoise ring and I'm complete. Love that, Monica, thank you. You know, Dr. Dina, it's, it's something that I believe um, this very thing that we're talking on right now is really one of those habits that can either make or break us disciplinary wise, right? And I did take a break from Clubhouse for a little bit, and it was the best thing that ever happened. And I know that, you know, uh, for me, it was just really important for me to put my phone down and actually look at my kids without looking at my phone every two minutes. And it was really uncomfortable because you know how you always look for your phone and you're always tapping your pocket or you're looking in your purse or you're doing something just to make sure your phone is not lost because you know that your life is in there. And you have to put it in a sacred place or actually give it to somebody physically sometimes to be able to take that break. And I love, Monica, what you said, getting outdoors. I love driving around and then just being somewhere where you can hear the birds. I don't know who does this, but somebody does this on Clubhouse, I think, intentionally. They sit in a park while they're on Clubhouse because you can hear the birds chirping like nobody's business. And they do it like every time. So I'm really impressed with them. And uh, that's something that uh, I believe helps to ground us, you know, walking with our bare feet, feeling the grass, the sand. That's really important to keep us grounded for really what's important to us. So, uh, Dr. Dina, thank you so much for that question. Did that help you? Absolutely. And I also love that Monica mentioned getting away from it because I've seen so many who do go for those outdoors walks with the headphones on. So in some ways, that's a little... Um, ironic, but I love the fact you mentioned birds as well. So it's it's almost like putting it away, literally, in order to be able to connect with nature, including giving our ears a little bit of a rest, right? So thank you so much, Tom. That was awesome. Well, Dr. Dina, first of all, you're amazing for staying up in Sri Lanka. I know it's past midnight there, and I know we talked earlier today, and just so honored that you're here, and so glad that you spoke up and asked that question. I think that, you know, when I look at the stage like Donna Bowling and Jen Rose and Dr. Hogan and, you know, Dr. We just have so many amazing people here who can probably share their routines because they get in it, too. You know, I don't think all of us have the answers, uh, but we at least have certain things that can serve us. And so uh, I see Kimberly King. I see Rocky. I see Tosh. Uh, I see Nivea Green. Hello to you. Would anyone else like to share what they do? to really rest, restore, and recharge, especially when they feel like they're kind of in it. Would love to hear a couple more. Uh, I do want to finish out this segment with your voices and not mine. So I uh, would love to see any mic flashes who would like to, uh, and I just missed one. Was that TM? Dr. There we go. Go ahead. It was me. I don't know if TM was flashing, but I'll wait for him to talk and then I can go. I think I had your mic. Uh, TM is away from his mic right now. so Okay, wonderful. All righty. Well, thank you very much. Um, so this morning, I actually was feeling that way. It's been a rough month for my family. A lot of people know that. And the way that I recharge right away is just first prayer, pause, just going in a space where there is silence and I hear nothing but God's voice. And then after that, 
self-care is so important and it wasn't important to me before I would just you know float through stay busy keep my schedule full and what I've learned is just taking that time even if it's in the day to go outside and watch the butterflies or smell roses like literally smell the roses or just taking a drive to Dairy Queen or whatever it is just that alone time and space and time to think just recharges my brain to go back to focus on what it is I need to do. So that's taking care of me because if I don't take care of me, I can't take care of anything else in a positive way. With that, I hand the mic back to you. Thank you so much for bringing up this timely subject. Oh, Dr. Rowe, you know, to be able to share what you were going through even today, I think that, you know, one of the things that I wanted to wait until someone said it, and you really, you know, brought this, I, I think, to the forefront of the conversation. How are we able to say no? And I'll tell you that the busier life gets, the more cognizant we need to be to be able to say no to some of these things that we think are good and we want to please everyone and we want to get it done there's eventually going to be a tipping point where I think that really where when we start to cut into that rest and restore time, that's when things get a little crazy. That's when we get out of whack, out of sync, and our habits start to change. Therefore, our moods, the way that we're able to deliver information, and also the way that we're able to get a chance to really be ourselves, right? I think about consistent time. And by the way, here's what happens. Let's say that Dr. Rote, you you ended up programming yourself and reprogramming new habits and new ways of doing things. And you, you spent 20 minutes in the morning. So maybe you wake up 30 minutes early. Maybe you uh, just kind of cut something out and say no to something. Well, what ends up happening is if we don't pay attention to it, that 20 minutes can turn into 18 next week. And then the following week, something we feel is important but not urgent becomes 16 minutes and then 10 minutes. And then we missed it all together. And so how do we get back into that form and that fashion to be able to keep that at the forefront of our mind? And I think about how mental health is so important at this point. I think we've talked about it a lot. I will say this, everyone wants our attention, social media, companies, people, and we have to be able to give the attention to ourselves. And Dr. Rose, so glad that you brought that up. And I appreciate you for sharing that with us, especially that it was today. So um, if I can ask you one follow-up question, what would be the one thing that you would change if you could change something in your routine, what would it be? That's a great question. Thanks for asking. I would probably change uh, being able to cut off two more hours <laughs> to just have self-care for two hours, honestly. I say that because it, it's one thing to be productive. It's another thing to be uh, extremely busy where productivity is there, but you just are exhausted or worn out. So uh, the one thing I, I forgot to mention that I do, like right in front of me, I have Nehemiah 6.3 on a sticky, and it's simply some simple words. I have a good work and I cannot go. And just how Nehemiah was like, look, don't bother me. I'm trying to get this temple bill, leave me alone. That's what I have to remember to say, even if it hurts people's feelings, um, because I got to take care of myself. So yeah, I would change just cutting off, you know, giving myself even two hours of self-care because sometimes 10 minutes is not enough. If 
but I'd rather have something than nothing. With that, this is Dr. Rowe. I hand the mic back to you. Oh, Dr. Rowe, you nailed it. And I think you stirred something up in Elizabeth. So would love to uh, turn it over to Elizabeth and then Mariana. Elizabeth. Oh, my gosh. Did she ever? <laughs> I think this this conversation in general, um, I, I committed, you know, 20 minutes to Clubhouse today. I just kind of got back in here. Um, I've been away for a few months and I'm, I'm glad I jumped in here. This whole conversation reminds me of life prior to surviving emergency brain surgery. Um, I, I remember life, it's reminding me of so many different things, but in particular, um, lack of self-care, lack of really caring for my body and really caring for me. I was, you know, in the beginning stages of building my speaking business and I was saying yes to everything. I was, I, I'm also a foster parent. I was fostering, I was all over the place. Um, doing way too many things, and I just didn't know how to say no. Uh, I was good at it for myself. So there was no morning routine. There was no self-care. There was no nothing to do with really loving on me. And that surviving emergency brain surgery scared me back to life. You know, oh, we say, oh, it scared me to death. No, that scared me back to life. I felt like I had never really lived um, I woke up from that wondering, oh my God, I, I almost died twice during the surgery, almost died, and I felt like I hadn't even really lived. So that really woke things up in me. And what it made me realize was that as a leader, um, as a new business owner at the time, a new speaker, I was on stage, on stages leading while bleeding. And that hit me like like a bomb went off in, in my body. I, I'm not even kidding. I was out there, you know, talking about it, woman's empowerment and the power of transformation and the power of choice and healing and forgiveness. And I was bleeding inside. And there's a lot of that. There are a lot of leaders, a lot of people who are out here leading while bleeding. And it's because, you know, things happened. Maybe it's something to do with our parents or sexual abuse, childhood trauma, whatever it was, we, you know, a divorce, somebody walked out on us, whatever it was, whatever it is, um, we're out here, many of us are out here leading while bleeding. And, and one of the things that really shifted it all for me was when I started to cut, you know, really save my early morning hours for self-care. I think it was Dr. Rowe who said, you know, spoke about the two hours. Well, today, my, like I'm out here leading while healing. Healing is a lifetime journey. You're all, you're going to, it, it doesn't just stop. It doesn't, oh, I'm, I'm where I need to be. And I'm going to stop healing. I'm going to stop working on myself. I'm going to stop growing. You stop growing, you stop living, period. But for me, one of the things that really um, changed everything was when I started to save the first two hours of my morning for myself. They are non-negotiable. Like, I, listen, the kids, the house could be on fire. I know your house was, and maybe I'm not, you know, I'm exaggerating here, but it's non-negotiable. Those two hours in the morning are non-negotiable for me. It's where I write out my affirmations every day. It's my, my prayer, whether you meditate or prayer, pray, it's, it's where I really spend time loving on me. I do a full hour of, of exercise every single day, five days a week. On weekends, I'll do something light, but it's non-negotiable. Why? Because 
I want to be out here. I want to make sure that I'm out here leading while healing versus leading while bleeding. That's it. I'm done talking. Thank you, Storm. Oh, my gosh. Elizabeth, I, 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 I mean, there's so much that you said there. You know, what it really presses upon is what are our non-negotiables and what does it have to take? What event has to be, you know, I guess, taking place for us to really look up? And, and I love your answer. It's very simple. You've made time for yourself because you, if you don't make time for yourself, you might not be here. And that is something that I think that you so beautifully and eloquently said that I can't really recap. Uh, it's just so amazing to hear that story. And I love the leading portion of that. And, you know, that just really sets the example and gives us a lot to think about, too. So, Mariana, I know that you were flashing as well. We'd love to give you the floor. Thank you, Storm. And I apologize in advance if there's a little noise. I'm on the road to the lake for some self-care and some me time. And actually, my dog is crying. He doesn't like to ride in the car, so he may you may hear him as well. But I love this conversation, Storm, because for many years, you know, self-care and health and wellness is one of my jams. And I was in the corporate world for 12 years preaching self-care and preaching health and wellness. And even though I had a strong morning routine, just like I had now, I was working so much and saying yes to everything that I was almost canceling the time that I was spending on me. So I burnt out completely. I just, I mean, I was on the ground. And like, I think it was Elizabeth was saying, I was leading and bleeding. Oh God, that was me for, for so long. So now one of the things that I do, I'm actually on the road to do that is that I change my environment. So we are going to the lake to spend a few days uh, just in a different uh, environment, you know, just being inside of the house and doing other things. Uh, and the beautiful thing now that is for everyone here is the, those of us that are working from home and you can work from anywhere, you can just, you know, get in your car or hop in the plane, whatever you do, and go somewhere where you can grab your computer and sit by a lake or listen to the birds and, and just change the environment, that does a lot for your mind, your heart, and your body. That is how I self-care myself these days because for 12 years, storm, I did not see the sun. I did not hear the birds because I was still busy pleasing everyone else and saying no to me and saying yes to everything that was coming my way. So now I'm a little selfish and I am on my way to the lake for a few days and my computer is with me, but we are going to be listening to the birds and doing other things while we self-care and we work at the same time. I love this conversation storm. I'm passing the mic back to you. Thank you for the opportunity to speak. Oh, Mariana, absolutely love what you said, which brings us to the point of, is life a sprint or is life a marathon? And if we see life as a sprint, we're going to miss it. We're going to miss the birds chirping. We're going to miss the time at the lake because we feel like something else needs our attention. And if we don't do it, we're going to miss out, right? That FOMO. And I'm so glad that you brought that up because if you'll notice, 
you know, a lot of us really love either the ocean or the lake, or we love mountains in solitude. You know, I think we can all probably find our happy place somewhere where, you know, in nature, it really allows us just to be quiet and be still. And if that's the case, there's a lot that can be said. So uh, thank you so much, Mariana, for that. And Elizabeth, I think that, you know, both of you tied that in so well. And I think we have time for one more before we turn it over to Mr. Michael. And uh, if you have something that you want to share as maybe your routine to rest and restore and really something that's made a big difference for you, would love to hear from you. And we are going to close it out here in about uh, three minutes and then turn our next segment over to our fine gentlemen. So uh, any mic flashes, we have time for one more and uh, then we'll get to our reset and then hand it off. So uh, looking and I apologize, the stage is fairly large. So Jen, I was actually thinking about calling on you because I love your story so much. And uh, I love the fact that you made that difference in your life to, to have an amazing transformation. So can you share what do you do to really rest and restore and recharge when it comes to your routine? Yeah, thank you, Storm. I hope you all can hear me okay. I have my AirPods in, but I'm driving, so hopefully it's coming across clearly. This conversation has been super interesting to hear, just everyone's different perspective. Um, I think I can continue to learn and grow in this area, even though I feel like uh, pretty well set in terms of you know my own journey. And Storm, I'll be brief in terms of my journey, but for those of you that don't know me, uh, I grew up as an overweight kid. It was part of my identity. There was a lot of uh, bullying things, things in my life that I missed out on because of how I felt about myself and, and how I felt like I fit in in the world. Um, and in 2006, uh, I went to the doctor for a physical when I was, uh, I had just become a, a licensed clinical social worker. I got my master's in social work and I was going to be uh, a therapist and was starting my, my first job in that um, arena. And, uh, and I was uh, at a point in my life where I was the um, heaviest that I had ever been, I had no idea that I had gotten to that place in my life. And so not just, it wasn't about the number on the scale, which was shocking. And, and I felt a lot of shame around that, but it was how I was taking care of myself and uh, my mental health as well that were, were suffering. Um, so long story short, uh, September 1st, I celebrated 15 years of having lost over 60 pounds. And um, in 2010, I became a coach to help other people th through mindset and behavior change to do the same. And so getting to your question, Storm, you know, for me, what I was really wanting to chime in here on is that we don't have to take like really long breaks away from our day or, you know, if we don't have that, there are things that we can do in our day to day in short bursts. And I was laughing because I'm um, I'm driving a 30 minute drive and immediately I get in the car and I plug my phone into the charger. And for the next 30 minutes, I'm getting a little juice in my battery. Right. It's not going to get to 100 percent but it's gonna get something. And so we as humans, we can do these things as well in our days. And so, um, you know, even 30 seconds of listening to music can, can physiologically shift your mood and replenish your energy. Um, I studied compassion fatigue. Um, as a helping professional, we, we tend to have either, you know, vicarious trauma or compassion fatigue. And so listening to music is a natural replenisher, moving your body is a natural replenisher hydrating, maybe even getting your car washed, working on your car, buying yourself flowers, sitting in a coffee shop, you know, all of the things that some other people here on stage, Dr. Rowe and Elizabeth and uh, Mariana just shared. So there are little ways that you can plug in in your day 
to get a little boost of energy that doesn't require a long vacation or a trip to, you know, the spa. And so thinking about where can you plug in, what elevates your energy? Maybe it's one of the things that I just said um, to, to help you, you know, continue to, you know, if you're as your battery is, is as we make decisions in our day, as we expend energy in, um, in relating and communicating with others and energy of the people that we're around and that we're listening to that are in our ears um, and that we're spending our time with. All of those things are tapping into our energy, making decisions about food, making decisions about activity, making decisions about what we're going to wear. And so for me, I try to minimize the amount of decisions by having my go-to things that I wear. I have my go-to foods that I uh, typically have in a given day um, to really um, save some energy and protect some energy. And then thinking about little ways that I can boost it throughout my day, getting outside, turning on a little music, calling a friend who makes me smile, and then some of the other ones that I just mentioned. Um, so Storm, thank you for the, for the opportunity to share. I hope that that was helpful for you know, someone in the room and that was uh, answered your question. And with that, I'm gonna pass the mic back over to you. This is Jen, I'm done speaking. Well, Jen, you know, it's, it's amazing how you tied all that up because um, some of you don't know this, but I, I've asked Jen to do a segment with me on family and fitness and, you know, kind of her journey. So look for that maybe in Breakfast with Champions in the future. You're right, though. It doesn't take two, three, four, five hours a day. You could do it in 15-minute increments, 10-minute, whatever it is to just get back to that place and make it a priority. Uh, I love the fact that if you can spend two hours, do it. If it's 15 minutes, definitely do it. So I do want to thank Dr. Dina for your input and your insight, as well as Elizabeth and Mariana and Jen. All of you just amazingly beautiful people. I mean, I really can't think of another way that uh, this, you know, your shares have really impacted what exactly we're looking for. So uh, just before we hand it over to Mr. Michael and Mr. Clubhouse, uh, I just want to, uh, to finish up by saying I first of all feel honored and, and thank you all. And uh, you are in the Breakfast of Champions, uh, Breakfast with Champions, the Millionaire Breakfast Club. And we're here to bring all of you motivation, education, and inspiration from 5 a.m. Eastern to 8 p.m. Monday to Friday and 6 a.m. to noon on Saturday, as well as Club 111, which was popping yesterday, live on Clubhouse on Sunday. So if you ever miss a segment or if you want to re-listen to a favorite episode, you can download the Breakfast with Champions podcast to listen anytime. So if you do need notes, we do. I have notes, so you can message me if you like. Head on over to Breakfast with Champions Live to grab the link to subscribe to the podcast as well as to see everything else going on. Mr. Michael, Mr. Clubhouse, are you there? What's up, my man, Matt? And Storm, it is a privilege to follow you, brother. Always, always good, man. Your energy is amazing. So I'm glad, glad to be here today. So glad, glad to be here with everybody. So thankful for, for Glenn and everything that Breakfast with Champions stands for, what it does, and how it provides for such an amazing community of people. So, And I, I know you just did the reset, but I'll just tell everybody, listen, if you're new in here you haven't yet, you'll want to go over to Instagram check out at breakfast with champions that you can click the link in the bio and connect because breakfast with champions is everywhere guys twitter linkedin facebook instagram we want to be there for you and like storm just said 
they are there's an amazing podcast so if you miss it if you miss a segment you miss a day uh you want to catch up you, you heard about it somewhere else you can go check out the podcast grab those segments and listen in and so it is a incredible incredible resource that is making a difference uh in the world there's no no question i see it all the time so but definitely glad to be here today. This is the first time I've gotten to to host or lead a segment in here. And so it's really an honor. So I've actually had a couple of months off just taking care of health and some things going on. But uh, one of the things that I, I told Sarah and Glenn and, you know, have talked about quite a bit that I want to just kind of dig into today and spend our time with is actually talking about the power and impact that failure has. You know, we come in here, we talk about success and formulas for success. And part of that journey to success is really owning our failures and owning the places that we haven't actually hit the mark, but it is just part of that learning and growing process. And so I'll tell you just a little bit about my story. You know, I was, I was that kid growing up that kind of grew up in middle America uh, just doing my thing. And, and one of those dreams, and I think a lot of us did, I, I sit on that weird, I call it the lost generation, that weird line between the millennials and the Gen X being born in 1980. And so it's a it's an interesting place to be, uh, probably because I spent a lot of time thinking about the difference in generational changes and the way we look at the world. But for me in particular, by the time I was 15 years old, I was the kid digging into things like magazines like Rob Report, Wealth Magazine, and Business Insider had a deep interest in those things. And one of the things that I really, really set my sights on was making my first million. Like that was one of my things I had just kept in my head. I kept saying, by the time I'm 30 years old, I want to have my first million dollars in the bank. I want to have owned a handful of businesses and be this next success story. You know, I want to be able to buy the things I want. I want to go after the things I want. And so I set my trajectory on that very thing. And so I, I launched into it. Uh, by the time I was 20, I had bought and sold my first company. By the time, actually, by the time I was 27, I put my first million dollars in the bank. I was able to actually achieve that goal. And, you know, we talk a lot about those steps of pushing towards and achieving the goals. But sometimes I think we don't talk a lot about sustaining or holding up those goals. And that was something that was sorely, sorely missing in my journey. Um, because in that process, and I don't know what you guys have experienced, it's certainly been the case for me is that at many times along my journey, when you find those places of success, it's not just ego that gets in the way, sometimes complacency can get in the way. And I think that something that I had to really learn in my journey was not to allow complacency to get in the way because that's what happened for me. Between ego and complacency, I put my first million in the bank when I was 27. And by the time I was 28, I had nothing left, had absolutely nothing left. I didn't even have nice cars or anything to show for it. I just didn't understand how to manage it well and how to lead forward. And I had to hit the reset button at 27 years old and really rebuild again. And so I did that. Over the next seven years, I rebuilt that by buying and selling other businesses, by building up the process. And then at 34, I hit the same plateau again. I put, put the money back in the bank. This time I put twice as much money in the bank. I had a couple million dollars in cash in the bank. I was building an amazing business. And basically my, my head 
just exploded thinking I was so good. I was too good to work in my business. I was too good to work in the day-to-day flow of my business. And I could just kind of be above the business and, and float around it and use the notoriety of it. And what that did is that allowed a business partner of mine to lean in and embezzle every single dime that I had on, on my watch while I was there. And while I could point so many times to that particular story and look at that and blame somebody else in that, and I did for a season. I don't know if you've ever experienced something like that. I think people who have been in business have had the, the failed business partner or the, the bump in the road. And it's so easy to, for us to look at that other person and, and cast blame and look at that. And, and I certainly don't absolve my business partner of the responsibility of those decisions and those actions what, what happened as I matured and lean into the right mentors in my life, what I found out is that I was not learning in my process of failure. Each time that I had hit a wall in failure, instead of taking time to, to take an inventory, to learn what lessons were there, what things could I grow from, where were my weaknesses, how could I identify those things and, and grow and do more and do, you know, be more efficient and be be more mature in my journey and be more humble in the process it would have improved the journey for me and it took me a couple of years i think to work through that last kind of round of struggle for me of losing again of having everything out the door again to look back and say i spent a couple million dollars on the best education i could ever have to realize that no matter what I build, no matter what I accomplish, no matter what I do, I'm never too good to work in my business, to work on myself, to sit in a humble place and listen well to the people around me and to lean in and that everything we're out to accomplish, everything we're we're looking to achieve, all the dreams and the visions and the goals and the passions that we have are our responsibility to steward well And that's with our time, effort, energy, and resources. And so instead of looking back in in that time of having someone take my money, I look back with a lot of gratitude today because I learned a lot of lessons in that process. And I wish I could tell you, like, that was the end of the journey. And that was the moment that I had it all together and I figured it out, but certainly not. I think that's what we spend most of our lives doing is pushing through these moments and learning and growing each time because... I went through that and thought, oh, I got this, and and then went through a cycle of, of preparing and, and helping to build a startup, and, and I still had to learn the process of managing and communicating well, of living with authenticity and transparency and, and extreme humility in the process, because I had a startup that began in 2016 and within a year had fallen completely apart. And while not every decision and everything is on my shoulders, Having been the leader of that very thing, I have to take responsibility for the culture that was built, for, for the modes of communication and the things that did not work in that process. And able to look back and take those learnings and share them with other people and, and, and lean in to help other people see where, where those missteps often occur. Those common things that we kind of all step into and realize the responsibility for each of us as a leader is to lean in where we fall a little short to learn where we fall a little short. And so one of the things that I spend a lot of time doing these days is, is leaning into leaders, to, to entrepreneurs, to business owners, uh, to, to executives around the world, and just talk about this process of failure. 
because I think so many times we talk about the highlight reel and the good things that we've accomplished and the great things that we've done. And we need to pause for a minute and go, hey, we don't always get it right. We don't always have it together. We don't always win the trophies. We don't always get the big paycheck. We don't always make the exit out of the company. We don't always make the paper or the write-up or get listed as a top this or a top that. Sometimes we're at the bottom of the list and it's, it's for the good. It's for the better for us. And so I talk a lot about the foundation of failure because I think every time we hit a bump in the road, every time we have a failure, every time something crumbles out from under us, one of the most important things we can do is realize we're laying a brick in the midst of our foundation. We're, we're laying down a, a firm space for us to stand on and learn. And really and truly, we have to shift our mindset, our perspective, that those moments aren't actually failure unless we choose to sit down and stay there, unless we choose to quit moving, unless we choose to throw our hands up and give up. In that moment, that failure is an opportunity for us to grow and to learn and to bring better things into this world and to add that value back to others. And so I say all the time, when you look at those bumps, they're your foundation. It's the foundation of failure. When you take that failure and lay the foundation, it opens up possibilities and potential for you that, that you have never imagined before. And so I thought we could take some time today. Now that I've laid that out, certainly happy to, to answer questions, but I would love to hear from folks in the room of what you've learned in moments of failure, how it's affected you, you know, and talk about that for a minute, because I think it's really good for us to acknowledge the impact but also the value that those moments of failure bring to us in our journey as leaders, as those who build, as entrepreneurs, uh, some, of, some of us in this room who have been influencers. I would love to hear from you guys here on the stage or anybody here in the room what your thoughts are or how you've been able to view that process of surviving and moving through and walking through failure in your journey and how it's impacted you for the better. So with that being said, if anybody would like to speak up, I'd love to offer the mic to anybody here in the room yeah, today. Michael, this yeah, Michael, go briefly. Yeah, go um, for it, man. Well, yeah, just as you're speaking, I mean, I think it's great honesty and vulnerability, so fair play. I mean, as you say, not just once, but a couple of times that um, you didn't learn from it. And I think that's what it is. You know, this old saying is so true, though. There's nothing to fear except to fear itself. And like you have to start the ball rolling somehow. And when you start off first, it's it's a big thing. It's exciting, but you have to let that excitement overcome the fear because there are fears there. There's no doubt about it. And you probably will fail. But when you fail, you have to learn from it. I remember one time, first time I started kind of renting a building as such. And when I planned for it, I wrote everything down and I planned literally like a budget, a household budget. I did all my accounting and I, I wrote everything down where I bought whatever else I needed and uh, the things I would need, the different months, the challenges that would come ahead and so on. But then unforeseen things happened outside of my control during the time and the period I was actually renting. And, and so eventually I ended up closing down. But I wrote down, I, I actually bought a little book, uh, a little kind of hardback book and I put a little, you know, type of a title on it and I put the dates on it and I said, this is what I'm learning, the learning book or whatever I called it from that particular period, that particular experience of failing. And I wrote down everything that I could remember. This time I didn't actually go back and read the initial kind of 
thing I'd written, but I, what I could remember from the start of how I thought I'd planned, how I thought I would succeed and so on. And then I wrote down what actually happened, you know, even the external things out of my control and what I could learn from it. That was the third section then, what I thought I could learn from it at that particular point in time, that particular date. And then I closed the book and I put it away. And honestly, to this day, I don't know where the book is, but I know it's somewhere in some room in my place, you know. And uh, it's funny. It's just that I think it was the fact that I could open up and, you know, you learn from it. You have to learn from it. You have to kind of analyze it and be objective from your own standpoint. Uh, but obviously that's a subjective standpoint, but you have to kind of see it from the outside and the external factors and then just kind of open your mind up. And it's funny because when you go forward again, you do things, there's always that fear. But you learn. And if you're open to learning, you kind of allow that excitement to carry you through, I think, starting off with something new as well again. So, yeah, that's just my experience. Great to hear yours, the Golden Dr. Connor. I love that, Dr. Connor. Let, let me ask you a question uh, when you talk about journaling that, because one of my mentors taught me early on, and, and I love this phrase. Of course, we love to take phrases and, and like use them cliche. Um, and one of the things that, that he taught me that I now, I think I understand it. I think I used to repeat it a lot um, without understanding. But one of the things he said to me often was failure is a space that we move through. And as we move through that space, it is our responsibility to take an inventory of what's around us. And so you talked about writing that journal and, and, and putting those details down. How do you think, you know, it, maybe even if it's just a cathartic process for you, but taking down that inventory and that process when you journal that, how do you think that helped you process that season of failure for you in preparation for what was ahead? Well, it was funny at the time, because I think um, I'm obviously in Ireland with my funny little accent, but at the time it was, uh, you guys are more or less, I think it's Labor Day, isn't it, today? So you've got a long weekend. And I was, I was coming into a long weekend. So I actually waited to close down the business, like on the Friday of that weekend. And I literally went and journaled it then that particular Friday evening. And then to me, as I closed that book and put it away, that was it. That was emotionally, I was leaving all my emotions physically in that book and if ever i wanted to kind of revisit those and a lot of them were negative a lot of them were nervous a lot of them were you know failure orientated and so on then i could open up that book because in that book there's a start middle and end and there's a start middle and end to everything and there was learning from it because i was really really critical of myself because every time we're i think introspective and looking at ourselves from other points of view and at the end of the day anything in business it's from the market's point of view so it dictates whether we have success or not you know, people, they either walk into your place or they don't. And, you know, your bank account will not lie at the end of the day. So it's, you know, it, you do spend emotion in that time. But for me, it was just, you know, a way of just spilling that emotion for one last time. And then I was on the front foot as far as I was concerned. And it worked for me, for sure. I love that. I love that. <clears throat> so I'd be curious. I'd love to hear from others, and, and I just want to take a second. Again, if you've just popped in the room, if you're just listening in and joining us here with Breakfast 
with champions. Uh, this is an absolutely amazing room. It's Motivational Monday. And uh, if you are looking for more content or you are looking for other ways to connect, you want to go to breakfastwithchampions.live or you can go into Instagram and at breakfastwithchampions and click the link. It will connect you to all the amazing resources. We're out there 24-7 on every channel, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We want to make sure that you have access at any time, anywhere that you are. We also have a podcast out there. So if you miss a segment, you can go click on the podcast and Apple iTunes or wherever you listen and be able to grab those segments. So click that little green Monopoly house at the top, connect with Breakfast with Champions, follow this club and make sure you show up. We're here Monday through Friday from, uh, I believe, 5 a.m. until 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Saturdays from 6 to noon, and then on Sundays at Club 111. So we're glad you're here. Uh, so with that, I'd love to hear from others in the room how you have processed through moments or seasons of failure and how that's helped build you up for what is ahead. Uh, Brian? This, yeah. Uh, oh. This is Brian speaking. Yeah. Um, this is, I, uh, um, yeah. Um, just, uh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just hearing footsteps. So I just want to make sure, but um, yeah. Um, for failure, um, like, um, so, um, so for failure, um, yeah, I've, uh, I've, sometimes I've gotten down on myself, but, uh, I don't usually stay down for too long, um, and, uh, you know, I just keep pushing forward, and, uh, you know, like, I mean, when I say down, like, sometimes I'm, like, very angry, or sometimes I'm very emotional, just like in tears, but uh, but I always see some sort of light, and I also rely on faith as well to uh, help me uh, through uh, through those times of failure. And I'm just speaking from life in general because I don't own a business right now, but I do have some aspirations for it. And it seems like I'm a little bit out of breath. It's because I've been working out while listening to you to you guys. I'm sure Storm will appreciate that. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, I, I think that, uh, you know, it, it, I'm, I, and I'm a prime example of that because I cope with autism. So, and uh, I've been on a fitness journey for over 14 years. But, uh, you know, when, when talking about career-wise, I just keep pushing forward. I mean, although I've been with my company for 12 and a half years employed and, uh, you know, just, uh, just, just keep going every day. And I mean, I've never been promoted out of my position, but I've had my job responsibilities change. And my work has gotten uh, recognized by other employees as well. I don't need the gratification every day, but, but uh, I know over time I, I get it. And, uh, you know, I'm good with that. And, and just, uh, you know, like I said, don't get too down on yourself and just just keep showing up every day and giving it your best shot don't uh, don't succumb to uh, you know staying in bed all day and and most importantly especially these days take some things that you've learned from rooms like this on clubhouse and implement it on your off the phone life as i like to call it so i hope this helps somebody um, in this room and uh, you know i'm like I said, I don't run it as a business right now, 
but uh, you know, if anybody ever wants advice or just wants to keep up with my journey, my doors are always open. Uh, I don't get tons of messages. So uh, yeah, um, thank you. Thank you for allowing me to speak, Michael, and everyone else in the room, and uh, I'll pass it back to you. Appreciate that, Brian. I think you said something that was really uh, important there that I think when we are facing those, those seasons or moments of failure, uh, just keep going. And, you know, sometimes that's hard and sometimes it's just showing up. It's just being present. But one of the traits that I've seen over the years of getting to sit with some amazing entrepreneurs and leaders and, and influencers on this planet is that no matter what they've been up against, they continue to show up. They continue to push forward. You know, I had the privilege a couple of years ago of going over and spending a week with Sir Richard Branson and Naveen Jain and some others at Richard's house in Switzerland. And one of the conversations that we had one afternoon was really that, that ability to show up. And one of the reasons I have such great respect for uh, Sir Richard is just really his ability to talk about failure and continue to show up that when things just don't work, when things fall apart, when you have to give up a company or you have to fold or file bankruptcy, uh, things that I've been up against myself personally along the way, that you continue to show up and you continue to push forward. And, you know, one trait that I see in great leaders, and I think it's really important and something that I've, I've really had to exercise and continue to process in my, my own journey as a leader is that when you have those moments of failure, the people that you are leading or the people who are choosing to follow you, whether they're directly under your leadership or not, it's really important for us to continue to show up and be present and as much as possible. And at times I've done that really well and at times I've done that really poorly. But I think one thing I continue to see, and that's again why I say I have such great respect for Richard Branson, is his ability to continue to show up even when things don't work and, and to share that journey. So I, I'd love to hear from other folks on the stage here in these next few minutes. We've got about six, seven minutes left uh, of what traits or, or things about that process of failure that have stood out to them and either in their own journey or what they've seen in others. So Jeff, did I see you on mic there? Uh, sure. Thanks, Michael. Yeah. Um, you know, one thought I had um, in, in the, the idea of just keeping going, um, you know, I'm a piano player uh, working in the music industry. And I mean, I do a lot of things in the industry, but um, that my instrument was was kind of what I grew up with first and everything else, PR things and marketing things and label tasks, all those things were things I learned later. Um, and when I found myself in a really dark, um, depressive place, um, you know, and I recognized that it wasn't that I didn't really want to play music. It's just that I knew I didn't want to do anything. There was nothing that I really wanted to do. And you have to kind of try to figure out how to keep going. You know, I recognized that one of the things I could lean on was, um, was the piano. And, and, and I don't say that in an, I love music kind of warm and fuzzy place. I'm saying that in that, even though I knew I didn't want to do it, you know, on a, at a given moment, the idea of me after 50 years deciding I don't want to play anymore for the rest of my life, that seemed ridiculous. Though I knew I didn't want to go play today. I knew that the idea that I would always feel that way didn't seem reasonable, but I did not want to go play today. 
And if you ask me tomorrow, I'm probably not going to go play tomorrow. So I recognized that it wasn't that I was relying on something I loved. It was that I was relying on muscle memory because I knew that even if I kind of phoned it in, that was my area of strength. So I would be able to lean on that. And I also knew that I can't decide every day if I want to, because I know the answer is probably going to be no, but I can decide once that if somebody asks me to go play, if it's possible, then I will say yes. I don't have to decide, you know, do I like it? Do I want to? Is it how much am I getting paid? Is the music going to be fun? All of those things gave me excuses and outs that I did not want to take because I knew I would not build the muscle if I took the potential out. So I was able to, in that example, make one decision, which is if it's possible, then I will say yes. And, you know, kind of leverage that against the idea that, and I'm also making a public obligation to somebody else. So I can't back out on them. Now, how I feel really doesn't matter. And that takes how I feel out of the loop and eventually forcing myself through that with those as leverage um, kind of enabled me to rebuild that muscle. And then I remember the moment that I was like, oh, well, I feel really good doing what I, you know, living in my, my expertise. You know, I remember where I was, where I was standing when that suddenly kind of started to break when the sky kind of started to open back up again. So um, I don't know how that helps in the context of, you know, helping people identify what they can lean on and how they can maybe leverage something that, that they've got as a, as the strongest muscle to help them strengthen some of the others. But that's how I used mine. And um, yeah, I appreciate the conversation. I hope that helps somehow. Uh, It's Jeff and I'm done. I love it, Jeff. I'm right. I'm right down the road from you, brother. I live down in Franklin, so I was just looking through your profile, man. We probably have a lot of friends in common around here, so love that. Absolutely love it. All right, I've got time for probably one more before I turn it over to the amazing Rocky for the next segment here. So uh, I can go. Yeah, go for it. Hey, Michael. Hey, Tom. Hello, and hey, Glenn. I see my friends here, so I wanted to say hello to them. So, uh, Michael, you've been narrating your stories so uh, funny sometimes how things work out because your life story or, uh, uh, is kind of similar to me. Um, I'm not going to get to that, but talking about failure, um, I failed quite a bit in life, um, professionally, otherwise. Um, because my risk appetite was high. I did things which my sisters or my friends wouldn't go for it. Um, I had that kind of personality. But what had changed between Vinnie, which was 10, 15 years back on now, um, early on I was very competitive and I would literally kill myself if I would not be a top student, if I would not score that. And over the period of time, it affected my health. I would literally cry for days. I still remember. And my my mom thought was so silly that because I wasn't the first, I, I didn't score the first position and it was very important to me. And I literally killed myself crying and just um, mooning over it. And I had to learn the hard way. 
now what I do is I knew that this is my personality. I still do a healthy competition, but what I do now is any task I take, my professional life or personal life, I sit by, with myself and um, I go through pros and cons. What if I don't, it's, it's not successful? And I, I make peace with it. And I, I see that, uh, is it worth taking that risk? Are you ready to, to, to uh, take that risk? What if it's going to be a failure? And I think it has, it has helped me quite a bit that um, I, I, if, if I fail, and yes, I do fail, I cry, it stings for a day. And then the second day, I just come back stronger. And um, I see a big difference how I used to handle failure back in the days, 10, 15 years back and now. And uh, it has worked for me. Thank you, Michael. Over to you. I love it. Thank you, Vinny. I think that's really important. Something you brought up there, and I'll wrap with this because I want to turn it over to the amazing Rocky, is just bottom line, take space when you walk through failure to recognize what it is. Take that inventory. It's okay to grieve but show back up, continue to be present, and you can use failure as a foundation to build your future. Thank you for joining us on Breakfast with Champions. If you want to catch the live version, you can follow us on Clubhouse and listen from 5 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, Saturday 6 to noon, and Sundays with our 111 Sunday service. Make sure you're keeping up with Breakfast with Champions and getting yourself a seat at the table.